0: Welcome to the Opera Box Score podcast for Monday, May 16. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more on our show, you get to have your say. Leave us a message on 224-218-9BOX. Again, 224-218-9269. Our email is operaboxcore at gmail.com. On tonight's show, we go inside the huddle with mezzo-soprano Annie Rosen. She's a second-year member of the Ryan Opera Center at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And my co-host Oliver Camacho grabbed a few minutes of her time to talk, covering a big role at the last minute, her audition package, and the hazing rituals at the Ryan Center. But first, in our Chalk Talk segment, we take a good, long, hard look at nudity on stage in opera. Calm down, Tobias. Are there operas in which nudity is suggested in the text, or productions to which directors have added nudity? Which singers will, or won't, take it off? I'll ask the rest of the Opera boxcore team what they would do. Plus, I've got all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill, and then later, it's our first-ever showdown between two bases in our TKO segment don't miss this brutal contest of heavy hitting singers as co host Oliver Macho Camacho judges the fight. Let's roll. Kickoff is next on Opera Box Score right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you saying opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us this week. How's everybody doing? Oliver Camacho, what's Great. up?
1: I just saw Chicago Fringe Opera in the Penis Colony. Weed. And?
0: it's the yeah. <laughs> Um, that good? Yeah. I think his pretty mouth was full. <laughs> Tobias Wright, what's up? Uh, not much. Just living the
2: dream. I'm going to go see The King and I tomorrow oh. at the Lyric Opera Excellent. of Chicago. That's very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going yeah. on a Lots date.
1: You were going on a date? Yeah. <gasps> wait, 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 wait. Well, well that's the first. This I have something on my counter. How could you be going on a date? <laughs> Javanna
0: Jacques, how are you?
1: I'm great. Very happy to be here. Good. And you're going to see King and I tomorrow, right? No,
3: I've already seen it. Which oh,
0: is what I. This, literally This got said. A, <laughs> no, I'm saying, but with
3: my date. Like date to oh, 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 no. so alas! Through the process of elimination. Correct.
0: Maybe it's it's not me. I, you couldn't pay me to see the King and I. So to go on a date with me. <laughs> we're gonna get I a. To go on a date with you. Yes. <laughs> let's get it going on right out of the gate with our chalk talk segment: nudity in opera. And uh, Oliver, yeah, so, I'm gonna let you set let's this up.
1: Start this because I heard in the uh, pre-production era of Chicago Fringe Opera in the Penis Colony that Math and Black podcaster and baritone extraordinaire was gonna drop mm-hmm. trow. And so I saw this show, and it is for those of you who are going to see it this weekend, um, the space holds maybe 40 people, maybe a couple more than 40, but you are very close to the audience, to the performers. Like, you can touch them if you extend your arm all the way out. Uh, They're very close to you. So I kept thinking, oh, any second now, I'm going to be face-to-face with, you know, Math & Black's...
3: Penal Colony.
0: <laughs> and you thought that because you knew that the show like had nudity in the score, or the libretto? Uh,
1: no, I didn't read the libretto. I knew a little bit about it. It was like about um, capital punishment. And there kept being this suggestion that this guy that was chained to the uh, building or chained to this post, that he was going to be the one that was going to be get stripped down and like, have this thing performed on him, this terrible... Um, procedure performed on him.
0: Right, whereby people are tattooed with the crimes that they commit and then bled to death. You
1: know that one really well. um, so I was thinking, well, but I knew that Mathen was the one that was in danger because he kept talking on Facebook about how he's like do like sit ups and like get in shape and stuff like that. And he talks about his own podcast. So I was like, just expecting to see it. And so, you know, it's only 80 minutes to show. And so, like, you know, I'm keep looking at my watch. <laughs> my time like, is getting, it's winding anxiety, down. You know? I still haven't seen and then it. it. It was over. And it, we only got a little bit of his very youthful-looking chest, you know. He's got really delicate, you know.
0: I think sp- he waxed. Yeah, his chest. He looked d- young. He looks very young. Yeah, well, I mean, there in this libretto for the opera, it is suggested that you are the character who's going to be c- murdered in this machine is stripped naked, and you know, I directed the show, and when we were putting it together, I talked to Math and I was like, "Dude, you want You want to?" A- do this or not and he was like uh, sure i can but the more i thought about it i really felt like it would have been a distraction i really feel How like long with the nudity nudity I've had to have left
3: uh, not long but you would have been so close to it Like well, listen, really it's like this the close whole... to you and i right now like i, I would have seen every <laughs> closer
1: yeah. no but the whole point of this opera company it seems is to put Audience members in an uncomfortable situation i mean it 's almost hostile how uncomfortable you will feel in this show, so why not really push them and mm-hmm. like you know
0: it's a good point. I just felt like again it was would have been a, a distraction from the drama and from that moment, and for have him this singer be shirtless. It told the story the way we needed to tell it. And I think sometimes nudity can actually take people out of the world of the drama because it puts them into this place of absolute reality. When they start thinking not about the character who's naked, but about the singer. This is why I'm not a big fan of nudity on stage is because I don't want to see singers going through the mechanics of singing, the breathing, their diaphragms going in and out. I don't want to see all that. I want that to be hidden and masked from me because for me, it destroys the, the Illusion—the whole reason that we're in the opera house in the first place.
2: Well, I was okay. So I have a, a story. When I was I was doing a show when I was in grad school, and I had to be shirtless and sing an aria. Um, and actually, it was a sex scene, and I was in my underwear. What was the show? Uh, Lucrezia by William Bolcom. And uh, this was at Northwestern University, and the director was Michael Ehrman. And it was a great show, It was a great production, and it was really interesting because I, I, maybe I've changed the story a little bit in my head, but it was during. Uh, tech week when I walked off stage and he goes, hey, before you do the, the final scene today, will you take your shirt off and just be in your underwear? And that hadn't been the plan. And I thought, sure, I'm happy to do that. But then, you know, you talk about the mechanics of singing. And I found that I was very, very, very self-conscious sure. about what I want to, my gut's going to come out when I take a big breath to ta- sing a long phrase, you know what I mean? And if I'm going to be relaxed, my muscles are not going to be taught. Not that I have muscles, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs>
3: well, what pair of underwear were you wearing? A good one no i
2: <laughs> i was actually wearing tights it was oh, really i love int- it when you do that uh, <laughs> That's thank really you That's <laughs> nice. you, that. you know me so intimately but i felt as a performer i actually felt a little distracted in that moment um and i don't know did it add to the show probably
0: because it made very clear
2: i was actually her husband and
0: was a cuckold and so he knew that i was gonna sleep so you've her. done it with your shirt off Giovanna, have you ever been nude on stage
3: i But I have absolutely no objection. So, how far would you go? Absolutely. I'd go all the
2: way. You'd go all the way. I really don't
3: understand the the big deal about it at all.
0: Well, for me, there
2: is no big deal. deal. Oh, Oh. Toby. (laughs) Don't sell yourself (laughs) short. Everyone got so disappointed. I appreciate your friendship.
0: (laughs) 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 I have no idea what that meant. I don't think it's
3: that big of a deal. I mean, yes, it can be distracting and. Down the line we'll talk about different scenarios and like surely there are some great areas, but yeah, I'd do it. So
0: what are some operas that have nudity in them? Salome. Zalome, right. Okay. The dance of the seven veils when is she supposed like technically in the libretto, is Zalome supposed to be naked?
2: It doesn't say naked, does it? But it, I, I don't think she, it does. To like fully exert her power, she has to remove all of the veils.
0: It is an, like, an erotic dance, mm-hmm. though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: As far as like what operas in the standard canon require nudity, I can't really think of one besides well. But then l- there's things like the Anna Nicole opera, or like the Thomas Hades, like. Mm-hmm. Music, where there's like mm-hmm. little happening on stage.
0: And stuff like. That. Lady Macbeth by Shostakovich has a lot of sex in it. You would sort of have to assume that that, that has some sort of nudity as well. Uh, Dead Man Walking Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's usually in his boxers or in his underwear. You know. Well, it's, check it's, out that
0: dude for the Barry Hunk. You yeah, can go to our website, Opera Black Box Brad Score.
1: Gordon. Yeah, if you go to uh, barahunks.blogspot, it is the um, post from Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can actually see more pictures elsewhere because this guy has gone past the Barahunk fame and into the gay porn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there
1: is a picture of him getting tattooed up uh, to be Joe de Rocher, <laughs> but there's also a picture of him like just in a. Uh, what do you call this, a jock strap? It was
0: a jock it's strap. It's like a posing strap, yeah. I mean, yeah. he is jacked, he's, that guy. I am
3: mean, staring at it right now, and I'm I mean, look, I mean has, he's got great
1: muscle tone, but he's also blessed, you know what I
0: mean? And is that necessitated?
2: With a very rich, baritonal <laughs> <laughs> sound, and that's why he's done this role successfully so many times.
0: <laughs> is that necessitated by the text of the opera that he... Sh- no, to be shirtless, to be... Um, yeah, but I
2: think so, absolutely, because yeah. and yeah. it really adds, I think, to the scene. He has to be shirtless, and often when we when I saw the production at yeah. Northwestern, um, he was shirtless and it really does put you, he's in his jail cell and he's doing pushups and this is all he's gotten. He's really, it's a frustrated moment. And I can't imagine if he was in an orange jumpsuit yeah. if I would feel his pain as much but as you there's do. There's
1: also this kind of clothed, non-clothed dichotomy when Sister Prejean comes in. And that's part of the story. It's like she has like this power of being clothed and he is like totally naked. But in a way he claims that and that is his power. It's like, I'm naked. I can do this in front of you. I can mm-hmm. talk to you. I'm not scared, you know? Mm-hmm. And if he had his clothes on, it would, you know, it would soften that. Yeah. A bit. Absolutely.
0: Well, again, I think it comes down to, you know, what is the justification in the text? I I remember the first time I ever saw a naked woman live was at on the opera. Op- was at the opera. No, no. no it was years <laughs> before I got married. No, it was, I was at uh, English National Opera in London as a teenager <laughs> And uh, it was a production. We're not going to make fun of George today. I was I was fourteen, but it was this production of Zimmerman's Die Soldaten, where there is this scene where there is these all these prostitutes running around, and apparently, so I. would understood is that they just got a whole bunch of like strippers to be extras in this that's in this awesome. opera I mean, and it paid. and it totally blew my mind but it was justified by the text here i am mm-hmm. years later and i realized like why it why it made sense you know so I, for me i think as a director that's what it comes down to does basically. it make sense does it does it make sense yeah and that goes against so oliver's a, argument because because well, oliver was like wanting the the full monty the from math like, but
1: shows that i probably would have less interest in seeing but because I hear that a good-looking baritone or a good-looking tenor named Tobias is going to be semi-nude or nude, that might make, make me think, okay, well, I can go to this tonight and go hear the Talis scholars sing a program of Bird. <laughs> <laughs> or I can go, you know, see Zachary Gordon fill out a jockstrap, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm a gay man, and I, I have to say, like, I I'm still. I mean, I'm a man. I mean, besides the fact that I'm, gay, I'm a gay man, and like, we're visual, you know. And, right. Like, there's something about so true. Seeing flesh that is like exciting.
2: Well, know? and I think uh, what well, so that's what I was going to say. I do agree that seeing somebody in the flesh, in live, in theater, can Especially really.
1: they're an artist, uh, that really is a big turn it, on to me.
2: It so. can be exciting, and it doesn't have to be distracting. It can really add, I think, to what the show is doing. Um, but if it is just. To put butts in the seats, that's when I think you have to kind of Yeah. I yeah. take I take issue with to, that. I'm all okay with like, shock
1: art, but it has to have technique, it, it has, has to have
3: yes, some Absolutely. You know? I agree with that. But like I don't think it's a big deal that you're naked. I mean that's our natural state of being. We're all naked mm-hmm. underneath our
1: clothes. All the Would time. the movie Brokeback Mountain be as good of a movie if there was no like butt sex scene?
2: I never saw it. Um, I'm sorry. What? I mean no I'm sorry. because that's it's on Netflix. I'll go do thing. that. <laughs>
3: like it's just a it's a representation of a very real thing. When you're having sex at home, gay or straight, you're not, you're not usually clothed fully with just like a little pop-out hole. Well. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: nude. Giovanni, you're making me blush. All right, to our listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, directors, do you put nudity on stage? Singers, how far would you go? Audience members, do you buy a ticket just because there is or isn't nudity? Let us know. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. And
2: for the record, anybody who is listening, looking to hire a young tenor, I am totally willing to be naked on your stage. And-
1: oh. <laughs> Yay! I have a production coming up. This
0: just is the two-minute drill. It's time for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. The Georgian-based Pata Bruchulatsa, 61 years old, has confirmed he is canceling international performances for the next year in order to run in national elections this October. He says, quote, I am forced to leave the sweet and good life of an opera career and go into politics. This is not because I'm a good person or a politician, but because the country is in a very bad condition. Opera Philadelphia has spent over half a million dollars in market research to determine what opera goers wanted, and they discovered more than a quarter of their single-ticket audience was between ages 25 and 34, and 18% were under 24 years old. Realizing people in these age groups were accustomed to on-demand media consumption, General Director David DeVan decided to create an opera festival starting next year called O-17, where visitors can choose from a large number of performances— There's over 25 shows over the course of 12 days. Quote, we had to change the way we packaged opera and how we presented information, DeVan said. Opera is actually a growth market. If we move with the market, performing arts organizations haven't moved with it. Customers want more variety. Pittsburgh Opera has announced the world premiere of Summer King, the Josh Gibson story, to open in April 2017. Gibson was a star player in the American Negro Baseball League in the 1930s and 40s. Quote, both sports and arts have been a cornerstone of Pittsburgh for so many years, said General Director Christopher Hahn. It's a source of civic pride. San Francisco Opera is handing out free seats to its dress rehearsal of Calixto Bieto's production of Bizet's Carmen. You just have to tweet during the show, or as they say, quote, we want your authentic opinions and thoughts and perhaps even a scene-by-scene recap of the onstage action. In other words, we'll give you an opera ticket in exchange for your stellar social media skills. That's the two-minute drill. All right, guys. So there you go. Two-minute drill. Let's go oldest, youngest here. Uh, But Oliver's taking a pass, it looks (laughs) like. All All right. right.
4: I'll go first.
3: Oh, sorry. You didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really cool that both Opera Philadelphia and San Francisco Opera are using kind of these new marketing ideas to package and present um, their new... Works and I, I love the idea of O seventeen. 17 I also really like the idea of the tweeting play by- play I mean that's how a lot of the big shows on TV get a lot of um, yeah exposition and expo- expo- but do exposure we, is what we what say. do we
1: expect I mean I agree with I think keep trying see what sticks yeah exactly but what is the expectation that somebody's gonna be in the theater they're watching whatever Carmen. And they're tweeting as they're watching it. Who's
3: following them? Well, they're friends. I uh-huh. mean, it's just like, a, I think it's just a branching out kind of thing. And then if, let's say, Shelby, who's like the really cool kid in high school, is mm-hmm. going to see Carmen and she's tweeting yeah. it. Oh, I want to see it, too, because
1: I want to be cool. And then they end up okay. liking it. I guess you.
2: But, I mean, yeah, that goes fast. If you've got you know, 1,500 people in the audience tweeting and each one of those kids has yes. 500 followers. Yeah, but
1: I guess the expectation then is that there are available tickets, which I assume there are because it's opera, you know, yeah. Yeah. and that people will buy a ticket after they see something being posted on Well, Twitter,
3: if it's kids, know? a lot of the time they can ask their parents.
0: I think the live tweeting thing is totally lame. Like do it in an intermission or something like that. But like during the show, sorry, you should be watching, especially if it's a production by Calixto Bieto, one of my heroes. Tobias, what's your take on so, the two minute drill? Uh
2: I had not heard the Josh Gibson story, and I actually... What about the Josh Groban story? If I could have that man's career, I'd be gone so fast. (laughs) Anyway, Josh Gibson, one of my favorite books growing up was um, an autobiography by Satchel Page, and he was a famous pitcher in the Negro Leagues, Mm -hmm. and he pitched into his 60s, and the legends are hilarious if you read them, and whether or not they're true doesn't matter because he was Satchel Page, and he's... So ingrained in the history of the African-American uh, culture in the United States. And Josh Gibson is in there as well. And I had no idea they were making an opera. That When, I, when you said that, I looked at Giovanni. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah, and so I thought that was sweet. really cool. Sweet um, so I'll be really excited to see that. Also, the opera- What a
0: pity, though, that Pittsburgh is such a lame place. And that like <laughs> people in Pittsburgh, they love their sports. To You're a negative a, Nelly today, I, no, it's I, just, it just happened to line up. No, let me let me let me, let me, f- me finish right? this. Here's the thing about Pittsburgh is that people love their sports so much, it's not endearing, it's really annoying, actually. Like, they Fair. talk about nothing else. You know, what, women will go I to parties and they will wear fan. exactly. <laughs> exactly and women will wear like sports gear to classy parties and it is gross and it's disgusting and it has to stop
1: oh my god i actually know so good but josh gibson no sports and sports those like everywhere so. <laughs> thank you oliver no i didn't say that was bad i'm just saying i know people that
2: are like that also just like the opera philadelphia i got one of the brochures that they sent out fantastic i cuz i, use I no that oh, didn't okay. but the josh oh gibson goodness. thing really did and if i get made one fun of that, i did. get a
1: space <laughs> <laughs> right. so, I give up on everything. Um, no, but as far as like sports goes, because this is like a sports radio show format thing we're going on over
2: here. Yes, it is.
1: So I'll say in defense of people that love sports, I'm not somebody who loves sports, but they get passionate about it. They get like, I
2: love sports. Yeah,
1: and go good for them. Like I would wear like my Zachary Gordon T-shirt, you know, everywhere if I could. Now, I don't have one, but you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, <you did. laughs> No, but I mean, like, good for those people who are so passionate about something. Be passionate about something in life. And I have no problem with a sports being that thing.
3: Unless they're drunk on the red line and they're Cubs fans.
0: TKO on the OBS. Oh, it's time for TKO. Oliver Camacho set this one up for us.
1: So we have yet to listen to uh, a bass, a bass. <laughs> in, in the TKO segment. So I put it out to Giovanna and Tobias to uh, suggest a role and then to, you know, put a singer in the pit. And so... Uh, because
3: I'm all about that bass. Well, <laughs> bass. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to. No, good.
1: that was good timing. I do
0: have a bass fetish. It's true. I would. That is like the voice that gets me the most hot. No okay. question.
1: All right. Well, get a space heater.
0: I was just about to say you don't need a space third, here for your third, th- third time's the charm, Oliver. <laughs> um, so
1: I was thinking about what are the good, like you know, bass roles? Like where is a bass really prominently featured in an opera? And Faust came to mind because it really is maybe the best bass role in the entire canon. It's a very plum role. It's the villain. Lots of different styles of singing. You get to be evil. You get to be sexy. Um, you steal the show. And it's definitely a long night for the bass, so stamina comes into play a lot. And, yeah, there are certain singers who've really made their career, you know, in this role and, like, will forever be associated with it. So, starting with Giovanna, who did you choose?
3: I chose Rene Pop. Pop. Great.
1: Rene Pop. So, what is the appeal of Rene Pop for Um, you?
3: He is giant. He's, like, a (laughs) hulkish man. Yeah. So, were we in an actual steel cage death match? Yeah.
0: He he would he would jack everybody. Are we going back to that? No, I'm
3: just just saying I'm just I forget exactly when
1: Renee Pop came onto the scene, but I think that (sighs) Well he Yeah. I think that like his two thousand early two thousand is when everybody starts to know who he was and everybody's paying attention to him. I have to say, I hope we don't lose our F C C license here, but like I hear that he is an alcoholic. Oh
0: (laughs) Yeah. And doesn't he smoke a cigar before every show?
1: (laughs)
3: In case you're but wondering.
1: I mean, but I mean, he had, when he was in the early aughts and the late 90s, he had this incredible instrument. It still is incredible. Yeah. But he's he's tall. He's sort of handsome in that kind of Russian Yeah, no, he, he is. is. I think like he's distinct. an oddly
2: handsome. Yeah. 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 I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, yeah. And yeah. There's
1: something about him that's definitely very, like, magnetic. And yeah.
3: Off, <laughs> those eyes. The yeah. really clear, the really blue eyes. Uh, like, and the voice uh, is beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Out there. So right, is what he's going to win.
1: What about you, Tobias?
2: I chose. Fellow Kansan oh, Samuel that's Ramey. That's <laughs> <right>. Ramey. <laughs> okay,
1: so Samuel Ramey is one of the singers who is most identified right. with singing this role in the past twenty years, and I think he's yet to be dethroned. Uh, maybe Renee Pop would be the next person who is singing this role a lot, but there aren't really that many bases with the career that Samuel Ramey has. He probably Those was several the decades most, that... the most recent famous base. I mean, you can go back to like Norman Treagle and like George London and people like that. But um, as far as, you know, who can name a bass, Sam Raimi's part of the person.
0: So these guys are both bruisers. What's And we have the excerpt that we're like singing five, from.
1: Seven,
0: like he's, he's not a great tall guy. Oh, he's, he's not? A,
2: he's yeah. actually... He's looking. You know, when
0: I met him, it was 2000...
2: Yeah, he no, he's he's 2012. No, he's older now, but it's yeah, kind of like interesting. 60s now
1: or something like that. He, been, it it so could
2: be older up. than that, but he, he's... Not I don't know he he was slight I will say because I I guess I expected him to be six five and he's still slender and very graceful and still actually
1: he was a buck I
2: heard him one, sing so. in Turandot two thousand twelve yeah. and he actually still but sounded really great okay so oh.
1: um actually, so I, he can I, still
2: sing as I guess like like what I'm getting a lot.
1: at and I have to say like Sammy Remy did a master class for my fledgling opera company and he's a super nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um and I also great hair. Yeah, he's, still. Um, when when I was going to school, it was all about his hair. Like he was like the first baritone hair person or bari-hunk hair. And um, I'll also say that Samuel Ramey is more of a bel canto singer. Uh, he's known for his Verdi and his Rossini, whereas Renee Pop does Wagner, and we don't really think about Wagner least So, so two different voice types or two different styles of singing. Uh, let's both say, playing the devil. yeah both playing the devil. So let's start with the first round. Uh, We're going to go to the entrance of uh, Mephistopheles and Faust. Um, This is, you know, the scene where Faust is like an old man and he wishes he could be young again. And then, you know, Mephistopheles comes into the scene and says, OK, well, just sign this contract and you can be young again. But I get to have your soul at the end of it, you know. And so this is the scene where he's making this proposal and having him sign the contract. And I feel like the objective here is to sound seductive. And sinister at the same time, but not not sinister in a way that makes you scared, but it's the way that kind of makes you creeped out, you know. Yeah, but sedu- sure. seduction is what's happening here. Sure. So we'll start with Samuel Ramey from a per- live performance from the Met in 1996, a concert uh, with Placido Domingo and James Levine conducting. <laughs>
5: R <laughs> I'm
0: Right, so who is gonna?
1: Well, I'll just say I'll just start, and then you guys can back me up or disagree with me. I feel like already it's becoming clear that Samuel Ramey is about beauty of tone, and um, Renee Pop is more about expression. Not that Samuel Ramey isn't expressive, but Renee Pop is. He going, uses
2: less affect to deliver the yeah. sound of the Samuel character. Samuel
1: Ramey is singing bel canto, and you hear. The consistency of vowel shape and the consistency of vibrato, which is impressive that he can do that at, in such a wide tessitura. But uh, Renee Pop is going for more words and is going for more tone quality, mm. more different tone timbres.
2: So before Giovanna and I start to fight this out, George, as just a listener and someone who's not a singer and someone who directs operas but really doesn't like singers, what did you think? <laughs>
0: I, well, let me say I love singers. They're it's fantastic. Not what you said when the mics were off. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, Renee Pop, like I'm, I really understand what he's saying there through that use of diction and language, and the musicality of it all is kind of a wash for me, to be honest. So I would always gravitate towards someone where I can really get the words and really get the meanings of the words, which which is what um, Renee Pop is doing in that recording.
3: I would like to say that when I heard Samuel come on, I was like, oh, it sounds like a father, like a sweet old dad is coming on, you know, like he's, he's got a beautiful voice and he's coming on. But when Renee came on, it was like, oh, this is the devil.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. Well, and so that's why actually in this round, I would take Samuel Ramey, um as the winner, because it's not yet totally clear how much deceit is taking place. That comes yeah, later. So know, he's in this moment. There. He has to take Faust and kind of convince him that, bro, I got a pretty good deal right here. <laughs> yeah. So you should like, you should trust me, man. You make, you make a strong
1: argument, should... uh, Toby. But I'm gonna give the slight edge to Renee Pop in this round. Sorry, my man. I love Sammy Raimi, Mr. Raimi. If you're listening to this, you're my brother from another mother. But uh, Renee Pop got you on this one. Right on. We have another round.
0: Two and more gonna, to go.
1: The next round is the famous drinking song, uh, Le Beau Le Vaud'or. Le Vaud'or. <laughs> and like many drinking songs, it's about you know you know vaulting high notes and singing athletically and sounding virile and trying to rouse up a crowd. So this is almost like the Fin of this of this show or like the Brindisi of the show. It's just about great vocalism and exciting vocalism. So we'll start this time uh, with the uh, Renee Pop recording. I have to say that the Rene Pop from the last clip was his uh, full performance. Which is available on the YouTubes, uh, the 2008 performance from the Orange Festival with Michel Plasson uh, conducting and Roberto Alagna as Faust. But we will now hear um, Rene Pop's 2001 Richard Tucker Gala performance, followed by Samuel Raimi from a complete performance in, oh, excuse me, a concert performance in 2000 under Julius (laughs) Rudel.
5: Sapiens, we will live another day. Urpeterna cami dolează pe te compuni, o prisoare Quand ton a se Amid all the rois, the people of the world, the people of the world, the people of the world, the people of S'il faut souvent, il contemple à ses tranches, à ses pieds se rien la ferrame, dans le sang et dans la
0: That was intense yeah, to listen to. That's What
1: I just said—that um, was not a complete performance of the opera. That was Samuel Ramey's concert that he called like a night with the devil, which he did uh, touring. He yeah. toured that concert with Julius Rudel, and he sang selections from *Mephistopheles*. And-
0: well, that's a bit of a tacky name, but nevertheless, I that. Don't like it. But that oh, was too no. dreadful. When, each- like,
1: when, on the twilight of his career, he
0: right? Looked, like, I was—he so. still sounded
2: amazing. I, when each one of the clips ended, I was like <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah, I not mean, easy so for if you know we have two singers here bass baritones yeah. that's high yeah, everything yeah. Uh, every part of that is extremely yeah. high um, the um, trumpet shall, the
1: trumpet shall sound you got nothing on this yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean I'll just put it out there that um, Sam and Ramey, as I said at the beginning of this uh, is no Amazing bel technique, and when you have something that is this virtuosic, you do have to rely on the technique. Well, and
2: that's what I was going to say. That when Rene had his ornaments, they sounded so forced. And if you're going to be coercing people, you gotta—it's gotta sound legit. It has to sound like it was meant to be that way. And when you hear Ramey sing this, it his technique allowed him to sound free when he was doing some of the ornaments that happened there. And I, Javon, do you have awesome. any argument? I, don't know. I
3: feel like the fact that his ornaments weren't as maybe natural or because he was planning he was trying hard to get these people to to go with him
1: so uh, at, the, at the leadership we drink all the time and sing at the same time and i know what it's like when you like just drank a glass of wine and you're trying to get through a song and yeah like, oh, <laughs> you it. and you run out of steam you're like in the last. like oh fuck i should have not had that glass of am i cannot finish this damn thing and i thought that renee pop his voice started to dry out, like he was losing Little bit. He was well, and, the edge there, he was losing the technique.
2: And I heard him lose the, uh, he wasn't, it didn't sound like he could close any of his vowels when yeah. he went to cover, the, the, the and tone, so it tone sounded tone was, wide open, yeah. and to me I was like, bro, I hope you make it, which obviously yeah. he's going to make it, and yeah. here I am behind a mic in Chicago yeah. doing yeah. a podcast,
0: <laughs> but Sam Raimi Don't had sell been, yourself short.
2: <laughs> right? yeah. No, but Sam Raimi had such control with the way he closed through his passaggio and then went over the top and I just yeah. thought So
0: Oliver, you're deciding for Raimi on that second
2: round.
1: Well, I'll just say that Renee Papa... You're deciding for
2: Raimi on the second one.
1: I wanted us to hear the whole uh, aria because it's short, but also it's all about stamina. And... If it was just based on the first stanza, it would go to Renee Pop because Renee Pop was really exciting in the first stanza. But in the second stanza, he ran out of steam, and Sam Raimi just kept going along. And then he added that, ah! no, whatever that was, you know, which was really exciting. So we got
0: a tie on our hands, then, basically. What do we need to know about round three?
1: Round three is the other big uh, <laughs> uh, 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 for uh, 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 the mocking serenade, Vous qui Lendormi. Um, which is all about being evil. I mean, this is almost like a caricature of a villain character with like staccato strings and the laughing, you know, and the a modal or the minor key, you know. Uh, this is very obvious what this aria is about. So we're going to hear the back half of these uh, of this aria. We'll start with uh, continuing with Samuel Ramey and the 2000 concert with Julius Riddell and we'll finish with Renee Pop's 2008 performance.
5: Ah. Uh. <laughs>
0: Incredible. Uh, can I just say, first of all, I would love to have either of these guys play the Grinch and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Absolutely. 60s musical one, and have them sing You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. I Absolutely. think they'd be fantastic. I have to
3: say, Toby, it's it's really hard for me to <laughs> to defend Pop in this one, but he was a lot more natural in his life. Okay, it well, was less you like- know what?
2: Bravo to you for trying to defend him. But here's how to our listeners – when Samuel Ramey was singing, when we listened to his clip, we all, all had the look on our face of, holy crap, that's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I, you cannot deny it. He was so crisp. It was, it was hilarious how awesome it was. We all had these tiny little giggles on our face. It was
0: diabolical. Those laughs were amazing. really, truly <laughs> diabolical.
1: And it's clear that, here, uh, here's what I have to say. Rene Pop's performance was taken from, that, that was from a complete performance. So he is having to pace himself. And that's what it sounds like when you get to the fourth act. Sammy Raimi was... In a concert stage. Now, granted, all the focus is on on one artist when you're in a concert. I think
2: arguably a concert, can, and I'm, this is a debate for another day. But doing an entire concert can be more yeah, difficult we don't know exactly
3: than. We program mm, that, that, that right, I, I think felt. you're grappling at straws. But here's
2: okay. I may be, but that <laughs> recording that we just listened yeah. to, definitively okay, Samuel you know, Ramey.
1: I tried to make this a fair a fair fight by playing only live performances, but you can go to both mm-hmm. of their studio recordings. Both of them are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Renee Pops' studio recording, that's a recital called The Gods and Demons and Things. It's amazing. But uh, I have to say that, like, technique wins in the end. <laughs> like, Simon Raimi just had beautiful tone, and he went for the high G, and then the low G was really exciting as well. And Rene Pop skipped the high G, and in a way skipped the low G, too. And his tone, I think he wanted the high G, but, it, but he decided it wasn't going to happen. So he Backed up and he switched to he 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 he, he which was a choice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you've got to raise somebody's arms as a winner. Who's I'm, it going to be, I Oliver?
1: It's going to be my man, Sam. I really, I knew in that third
0: round that I was. Like, it's, it's like,
1: it's, oh man, there's just a like,
2: gracious. Telling you those those Kansas boys, they just know a little gracious, something about mm, singing yeah. some songs. Okay. <laughs>
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result 60 minutes of play by play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions, plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
5: You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques.
0: Time now for the In the Huddle segment. Oliver, you did this interview with Annie Rosen. Set it up for us.
1: Yeah, so I, if you listened to um, a couple episodes ago uh, when the Lyric had their Rising Stars concert, I was really moved by the performance of mezzo-soprano Annie Rosen in her selection Um the scene between Blanche and the Chevalier uh, from Dialogues of the Carmelites. And I had probably heard her before, maybe heard her on the radio or seen her in one of those other concerts, but I didn't really know who she was. And then I saw this thing. I was like, who is this person? I had to find out who she was and what she was all about. And I happened to bump into her at Italy, of all places, last week.
0: The restaurant? The restaurant,
1: grocery store, whatever you want to call it. And so we met in person, finally, and I told her that I was a big fan, and that would you be, would she be interested in doing a recording, uh, recording an interview with us? And uh, this is very timely, that tomorrow, Tuesday the 17th, she is singing uh, the last Beyond the Aria concert uh, with Christine Brewer and fellow Ryan Center uh, tenor, Jesse Donner. Uh, and that's a really fun concert series, and this is the last one of the year, uh, and I can't wait to hear some more. And then she will be covering the role of Adel Giza, uh in the winter um, at Lyric Opera and singing also in their um, Ryan Center at Grand Park Festival this summer.
0: Well, by the time we get this episode out, it might be too late for that Tuesday event, but obviously she's got a lot of stuff coming up. You yeah. can take a look at all of her activities uh, via her website. The link is on our website, Opera Box Score dot squarespace.com you're going to find links there to annie's website as well as some of the other stuff we've been talking about on the show sit back relax and enjoy
1: i am with annie rosen of lyric Opera chicago's ryan center where she is now in her second year as a artist what do you say young artist ensemble member
6: Uh, diva any (laughs) any of those not diva
1: (laughs) do you have a problem with the word diva um
6: really I just yeah. think it's weird when people use it to describe me
1: yeah we had a discussion um on our show about the use of the word diva and how maybe there was a time when it was actually a compliment but now it has like this bad connotation so yeah do you prefer yeah. not to be considered a diva
6: I don't know um it depends on who's saying okay. it and why they're saying
1: well it. I would say you're a diva um uh, I go to a lot of things people know me that like they always see me at concerts and stuff like that and I went to the rising stars concert which was a couple months ago at this point right
4: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: And everybody was very good, but all of a sudden like the level went up like to a different category in this poolang thing you did. What was that like to, to be a part of I and mean, you must have felt something because the audience went crazy for it. And they're generally a very polite audience at the lyric and they they applaud when they're supposed to, but there was something very, you know, spontaneous uh, in the audience of that and after you sang this scene from Dialogues of the Carmelites, and uh, they, they really got it. I don't expect mm-hmm. Chicago audiences to get, you know, new music. Not that Kulang is that new, but, you know, <laughs> it's new for them, you know. How did you feel about that?
6: I I get so excited when people love music I love. Yeah. It was really, it was really cool. I mean, that scene, like that scene of that mm-hmm. opera and that opera in general is probably some of the music I'm the most passionate about in the world. Mm-hmm. So to hear other people respond to that that made me feel like wow maybe I was really able to channel the the stuff that's in the music already that's right there
1: <laughs> What? how did you prepare for that physically like the, I know Matthew Ozawa staged you did you you know collaborate with him or did he really direct you like every, do this do this do this You know, it was
6: I, for sure a collaboration okay. yeah he he's great I mean he was he brought all of his own ideas and he wanted to hear our ideas as well mm-hmm. that combination is awesome when yeah. it's like both of those things you know so yeah, I mean, physically there wasn't a ton going on in the scene mm. because it mean you know, it's a dialogue, it's a conversation. But where he was really super helpful with us was mm. kind of teasing out the like the inner emotional things going on with them and like particularly with me and Blanche. It was it was tricky to balance how much of it was internalized and how much of it she was showing and how that changed on like a giant stage, yeah. of course.
1: So um, I was snooping around your website, and I saw that you um, understudied Melisande at the CSO. Yeah, that
6: so, was crazy. And
1: you did you had to sing it for the dress rehearsal or something like that, that she didn't show up, or was she sick? Or
6: So they had a cancellation, I guess, a week before the show was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And then they found a replacement, but she was, I think she was Finnish, maybe, and or Swedish. She wasn't able mm-hmm. to get a visa in time to show up for the rehearsals. Okay. So... It was just like weird, random coincidence where I didn't know the role, but like a couple of days earlier, I told my bosses that it was one of my dream roles. And then the CSO called the Lyric and they called me saying, hey, do you want to learn Melisande in six days? And I said, of course I do.
1: That's a huge, huge thing. So now you know it. So now you've sort of done it.
6: Oh
3: yeah, totally. <laughs> yes.
1: So what is your I mean I I also don't understand as say what your voice type is. Um yeah. you, I mean I would you think would you say you're a sufficient or Um Are because Blanche isn't necessarily a, a mezzo role.
6: True. Yeah. My my stock answer for this is well, Isabel Leonard did it, Frederica mm-hmm. von Stade did it, Maria mm-hmm. Ewing did it, and of course they're all mezzos who also do some soprano-y stuff. Yeah. Um I'm, I know I'm not a soprano. I'm just not. Okay. I'm just not. It doesn't, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work okay. like that. But a lot of this sort of, like, ambiguous French repertoire. Yeah. That. Like Charlotte I mean, and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These things that were sung by, by women of all voice types. Yeah. Like, that, that feels usually like a natural fit for okay. me.
1: Okay. But I'm also confused as to where you want to live because I noticed you have some broke roles in your repertoire and that you seem to be interested in new music. Yes. But then you're singing or you're covering Adel Giza, you know, in the fall. And I don't <laughs> know if that's your choice or if that's like your management side of that for you or that's, you know, Lyric decided that for you. I've, it's confusing. It really is confusing. So. Yeah.
6: Well, Lyric gives us the assignments, but yeah. I'm I'm totally 100% thrilled to be doing it. I'm so yeah. excited. Um, in terms of Baroque new music versus standard repertoire, yeah. I think a lot of singers will choose to specialize in Baroque and contemporary but I, I want I want it all. I want to do everything. <laughs> but do you feel
1: like you have to choose a lane before like you get out of... Or when you get out of Ryan Center so that people know what to do with you?
6: I'm hoping not. I'm hoping that when people hear me, it sort of makes sense. But I know that it's... Like, what I have to offer is weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm weird. Mm-hmm. And I know that. And, like... <laughs> Sometimes, Embrace like, it. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you meet somebody who really gets it, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. But it's true that, like, in auditions, for example, I, I used to offer a Blanche excerpt, and now I don't, because it's just it's just confusing.
1: Okay, so we probably have a lot of mezzos who are in the same boat as you die to know what is on your audition package.
6: So right now, like, contrary to everything I just said, right yeah. now I start with saint which okay. is another, of course... The
1: Prince or saint or saint herself, okay, yeah. Okay. Alphange
6: just Suzy C with like okay. dumb staccato high C's that make okay. me want to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so right now it's that. Uh-huh. Um, basically, if like right now, like this minute, I feel like if I could only offer like 19th century French rep, mm-hmm. I'd be the happiest person ever, but I can't. Um, so Mozart wise, it's been Carabino, but I think I'll probably switch that out. To Sesto? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I hear Sesto in your voice. So. I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. I just, like, haven't done it for some reason. And then I offer Cru de Furie from Cersei. All all mezzos listening know what it is and how awesome it <laughs> okay. is. Okay.
1: Is it one of those color craziness?
6: Yeah, it's, okay. um... It was on... I think it was on one of Joyce's recent CDs. Okay. That was when I heard it, anyway. I was like, this is amazing! And now I okay. think everybody felt that way. Does it have a
1: big violin part in it? Or a violins part in it? Because I always find that those... Fast things are terrible to hand to an accompanist because they don't know what to do with it. Oh,
6: Just, it sucks. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel terrible for whomever I give it to. <laughs> um, but people people do it well. I mean, these accompanists are so very good at their jobs.
1: Okay, so you have a handle, you have a Mozart, you have your Massenet.
6: Yes, and um, what's your
1: English thing?
6: Doctor Atomic.
1: Oh yeah, you did that at Santa Fe or something like that. Yeah, or? we okay. did.
6: We did a big chunk of it. Okay. For opera scenes, my second year.
1: Okay, oh, that leaves one more. Right on the in the five package.
6: Yeah, that's sort of like the rotating slot that I'm not totally sure what to do with right now.
1: Okay, so would you consider your handle your Belcanto thing?
6: Belcanto is a little tricky because I sometimes I offer like the comic Rossini heroines, but yeah. it never really like people never really love it. And it's not your
1: personality, maybe.
6: No, <laughs> I mean like I think I'd do like a cool Rosina. I think yeah. it'd be interesting, but yeah. I mean people don't kind, necessarily kind of like want a,
1: that. a like a hipster portland rosina oh my god
6: that would be so great yeah okay if anybody wants to do like portland yeah rosina <laughs> my god i would love that but like i don't know some people just like being funny it's like in their dna and you watch them and they're so great and they sing so fast i'm like i can not really do that
1: <laughs> Cool. no i mean good don't don't there's plenty of people who are doing that so yeah
6: i'd rather i'd rather kill myself
1: so <laughs> then be a Bel Canto specialist?
6: Oh, no. Like be Dido, like someone who literally killed Oh, people. you'd rather... Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. So I listened to your Dido. So uh, Tim Shainlin's, um YouTube page has like the first like eight minutes of, of the Dido you did it at Yale Opera. Oh my God. And it sounds great. How was Yale? Was Yale... Yale was first and then you went to Manus. Is that right? My...
6: I actually... I went to Yale, then I went to Manus, then I went back to Yale. Okay. Yeah.
1: So you've had uh, a lot of education and now you are in... <laughs> this uh, crazy Ryan Center program, you have the the blessing, you know, of, of having this great experience in these major, very prestigious institutions. What do you feel has been the best preparation you've gotten from them, like we receive from these places? Yeah.
6: Okay. I think it really varies based on Singer and kind mm-hmm. of where you're at. I went to Manus, never having been to a conservatory, so I had like no... So
1: you didn't perform in your undergrad at Yale?
6: We did. We had, okay, shout out, we had an awesome student-run opera company called the Opera Theater of Yale College. It was (laughs)
1: great. So yeah, you did your music college degree at Yale, and then you went to Manus, and that was your first conservatory experience.
6: Yeah, that was like real, like, serious theory, serious diction, you know, and performance and voice lessons all the time and coaching I like didn't even really know what a coaching was (laughs) like why we had them and lessons it was great it was like sort of opera boot camp
1: okay so then you did that which everybody does and now you went back to Yale for the opera program yeah And then what do you feel like you got out of that experience? Because people are trying to make these decisions, you know, undergrads, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to apply? You were lucky enough to get in, obviously. But what can you say about that experience uh, as what it has to offer?
6: For me, I think the Yale School of Music, the Yale Opera Program was more like a polishing program. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, I mean, we did have lessons and coachings, but the stuff that I felt like I benefited from the most was the huge amount of stage time we all got just because it's such a tiny program. So they really do their best to feature every single one of us while we're there.
1: The Lyric thing happened right after Yale, or was there something in between?
6: Oh, there was a lot in between. Okay. Um So I actually, I lived in Germany for nine months. So
1: you were a, a guest artist, or?
6: Um. So they have this program called The Opera Foundation, okay. operafoundation.org, okay. Um, where they, it's a, basically a scholarship program for young American singers to go work in at the Deutsche Oper in Berlin, okay. and also, I think um, Munich has a, a scholarship slot okay. now. And then also at the uh, the Teatro Regio in Turin.
1: Okay, so you were there too. Mm-hmm. Did you do the Munich one as well? No. Okay, no. so you did Berlin and Torino.
6: Yeah, I was in Berlin for nine months and Torino for one month. It's a yeah. great way to get your foot in the door over there. Yeah. If anything made me who I am, mm-hmm. it was probably that. That's not really a good way of putting it. You could. I understand. That. It
1: was a formative experience.
6: It was a formative experience.
1: How was yes. your German before you went?
6: Oh, sehr schlecht. (laughs)
1: But then you got really good at it, no?
6: I got okay at it. Yeah. Um, Did
1: they talk to you in English over there?
6: You know, because it was the Deutsche Oper, it was a very international house, so most of the process, most of the rehearsals were actually in English. And everybody's English is so good that, like, I I didn't want to put them through my lousy German.
1: And what about in Turin?
6: Oh, turn was so great.
1: <laughs> Did you have to learn Italian in a, in a hurry? or
6: Italian was a little bit easier for me because I'd taken Spanish in school. Okay. So it sort of came a little faster mm-hmm. as a romantic language, I guess. Um, but also, I wasn't as busy there because I was only in one show. So I took lessons.
1: So I also read on your resume that you are part of a vocal chamber ensemble. You're a founding member of some ensemble in Manhattan?
6: Yes. What's um, it called? It's called Cantata Profana.
1: Okay. Cantata Profana. Okay. Yeah. And tell me about it.
6: It's, okay, so it's my friend Jacob from the Yale School of Music. He started it. He's a violinist. Okay. Um, So he got basically just a bunch of his friends to do, to get together and do all of this weird vocal chamber music that nobody ever does because the demands on the instrumentation in particular are so high. Okay. So we did these two Webern pieces. I know (laughs) like, but these pieces were cool. They were Rilke poetry and I do love Rilke. It was like eight minutes total of music with an ensemble of, I think like eight people, like a, a cello and a horn and a, percussion probably and just like I I don't remember but,
1: yeah so who yeah. else is ever going to do this thing anyway exactly
6: that's <laughs> yeah. that's exactly the point but
1: do you guys have like some hits on your repertoire like the Bacchianas Brazilianas or something like <laughs> that you know
6: my favorite thing we did was probably the uh, Barrio Folk songs
1: so is that the goal for Cantata Profana is to do this concerted chamber music
6: I think so. and not, also Not just
1: Liebesleader waltzes? Yeah, like yeah,
6: exactly, exactly. And there's also this sort of strong theatrical bent to it because one of the founding members is a director, like a stage director.
1: Okay. Where do they perform?
6: Basically wherever we can get in New York that's okay. not too expensive but also accessible.
1: And how are the audiences for that and how do you market
6: yourselves? The audiences have been good as far as I know. I mean, it seems like in New York City there's a, a lot of interest in sort of weird fringe music whatever yeah. form that takes
1: I'm just trying to figure out how do you market something like this it's a re- we're already in the niche when we do art song you know yeah. and then you go even finer than that and then vocal chamber music and like contemporary music Contemporary music has its own audience. Yeah. But I don't think people think that much about the singer in contemporary music. So this thing that you do, the cantata profana sounds sort of off the wall to me.
6: It's totally off the wall.
1: But maybe that's the appeal of it. It's off the wallness. I
6: know? think it is. Yeah. I mean, we get we do some new music, so we get the new music crowd in there. Yeah. And then, you know, they they don't object to Webern and Berio either. Yeah.
1: And then you're gonna bring your Ryan up percent clout when you, <laughs> <laughs> when you go back. Yeah, yeah.
6: We'll see. We'll see. Or maybe we can bring them out here.
1: I bumped into you the other day. I was lucky uh, at Italy. You guys yeah. were, were welcoming the new the newbies.
6: Yes, it was so, so fun. Yeah.
1: So is that something that did you were you initiated as well? Like were you hazed? Like did you have to like <laughs> run around uh, Grand Park naked or something like that? Like uh, yes. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> <laughs>
6: We, it was different for us because there were only three newbies this year, and there were I think like seven of us in okay. my class coming in. Okay. So I feel I feel kind of bad for these guys. I mean, they're so they're the loveliest people ever. They're so. There's yeah, a
1: contralto this year. Oh my god, yeah. she's
6: so cool. She sang like a low E on the stage, and I was like, "Who are you? You're amazing."
1: <laughs> you are in your last year with Ryan Center, or are you going to do a third?
6: It's likely that I will not do a third year, but okay. it's we don't we don't decide with our bosses until a little later on.
1: And coming up you have, well, by the time this goes up, it'll be too late, but uh, on Tuesday, you are singing uh, one of the Beyond the Aria concerts, which is a really fun event. I don't know if yes. you've been to one of them, but yeah, yeah, yeah they're awesome uh, with Christine Brewer and Jesse Donner, yeah, Jesse okay. Donner
6: favorite thing on the program that I'm singing is a it's a Thomas Adès piece called Life Story, okay that I actually premiered I mean I didn't premiere the piece, but yeah. I premiered it for myself okay with, <laughs> <laughs> I did it for the first time with <laughs> Cantana Profana oh. in New York. Okay. Um, it's so great it's for voice and piano it's like off the wall, jazzy insanity with a Tennessee Williams text okay. about anonymous sex and then hmm. dying. It's great. Nice. Yeah.
1: Do you have an aria on this thing?
6: Uh, No. No opera. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's Good. beyond the aria.
1: <laughs> it's so far beyond the aria. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, this summer, are you in Chicago? Or are you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you are in the uh, Ryan Center at Grand Park. True. Yeah. And yes. they just announced the cast like two weeks ago or something like.
6: Yeah. We're doing, they're doing a big chunk of the opera of Mice, Mice and, and Men. Man, yeah. Yeah. And okay. I'm not, I don't even think there's a mezzo in that show. Yeah. Um,
1: but then there's, a, they're doing another thing besides of Mice and Men, which you are in, aren't yes,
6: you? Yes. Um, they're doing two, they're premiering orchestrations of a couple Nico Muley songs that oh, I'm going
1: to okay. sing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Is Nico Muley coming?
6: I don't know. I hope so. Oh, God, he's so adorable. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, and then we ha then Norma is early in the season, isn't it? So-
6: it's I think what January, February, okay. yeah.
1: So we can look forward to seeing you in Norma if Elizabeth the Shong has a sore throat or something like that. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Heaven forbid.
1: <laughs> Do you have any assignments that are actually uh, on the, you know, on the calendar? For- yeah.
6: Um. So I'm one of the Rhine maidens in oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I am uh, Ascania, uh, Aeneas' son. In Le Troyen. Okay. Oh yeah, of course. Second lady in Magic Flute. Oh wow.
1: Okay. Yeah. Who are the other ladies in the lady cast?
6: Uh, two of the newbies. Oh, and really? to me is first lady, and then the contralto Lauren Decker is oh, wow. third lady. Oh wow. Okay, great. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much, Annie Rose, and it's been great to talk to you totally. and for welcoming me into your apartment. And I can't wait to hear you on Tuesday and be on the aria. Good call,
5: bad call on opera box score.
0: All right, time to wrap this show up with Good Call, Bad Call. Giovanna Jacques, what has been a good or a bad call in your past week in opera?
4: Yeah, I'm going to have a little bit of a shameless moment here.
3: Um, Chicago Fringe Opera just got reviewed by the Tribune today, which is a very, very <laughs> good call. And it was he, – he is not one to come to small performances, and he came and had some nice things to say, and I very much appreciate that.
1: Let's say there are ten chamber opera companies in Chicago that are probably – Maybe one less or one more than that, but will he review any of those other ones? No, mm-hmm. so that's a big deal. definitely put you guys in, or put Chicago Fringe Opera in a category of being on the radar of the Chicago Tribune.
2: Tobias, Wright. My good call is that, and I'm I'm actually really ashamed to admit this, but since I left Sarasota Opera on March 20th, I've yet to attend a performance. Other than I sang a I sang a Bach concert, and other than that, I've not been to a performance. I'm going to see King and I this week. I'm excited for that. At the Lyric Opera of Chicago, I'm going to see Susanna opening at uh, Northwestern University. And then I'm also going to see The Penal Colony by Chicago French Opera. So I'm pretty
3: excited. Oh, Saturday. You said that. Yeah, I'm going Saturday.
0: If you want
1: to see Matthew's peen, uh, it's
2: not Matthew's peen.
0: Just send him a direct
2: message on (laughs) Facebook. Oliver Camacho.
1: I was going to bring up Susanna, but since we are based out of Northwestern University, I thought I'd plug uh, the Spring Opera, which starts on... Thursday, I think. Thursday night is opening yeah. night.
2: Carlisle Floyd, uh, so directed by great, Michael Armand. show.
1: But since you already mentioned that, uh, I'm going to plug uh, the Chicago, uh, the Collaborative Arts Institute of Chicago, CAIC. They're bringing in Melody Moore, a Soprano, a huge deal, to do their leader lounge, which is their last uh, leader concert of the season. So that's... Uh, collaborative arts institute of chicago this friday with melody moore and shannon mcginnis pianist
0: my good call is the pilsen neighborhood here in chicago where i went and hung out with my brother who was visiting uh, over the weekend bad call was a margarita that i had man it's been a long time since i've had a margarita and george my head really hurt the next morning it's proud of you it was at a restaurant called la vaca on 18th street How? it was the food was fantastic yeah. but oh boy that it's sunday morning was that mess you up. No. yeah that's what my friend said yeah. Yeah. we're Next all such old people
2: <laughs>
0: a, uh, a that's it for our podcast our announcer is norm woodell visit norm on the web at voxershorts.com that's V O X E R S H O R T scom for wnur our programming director is vil sholene and the general manager is maddie higgins Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us online on Twitter and on Facebook by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And hey, don't just listen to the podcast, be a grown-up, and leave a comment or a review. We are live in studio on Monday, May 23rd on WNUR, 89.3 FM Chicago, streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. And on next week's show, we'll give you our hot takes on all the winners and losers of the 2016 International Opera Awards. Plus, we've got all your need-to-know headlines and another devilish opera pop quiz. Email us at operaboxcore at gmail.com to play. Oliver Camacho is the creative consultant for our show. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera when you've got on your best underwear.